Good morning, everyone, and welcome to day two of MIPIM and to day two of our EG MIPIM program. I hope everybody's feeling all right and not too many sore heads. I'm sure that everybody in every, every panel and session will say that to you throughout the course of today. I'm Emily Wright, Head of Content at EG. We have another packed day for you today with a focus on everything from big brands and cities to leveling up in London and ESG as a value driver. But before all of that, we are here this morning to kick off with the launch of our latest UK Cities Guide and our next session on international investment into the UK. So speaking of our UK Cities Guide, do pick one up on your way out if you haven't already. We've got some at the back of the room there. Not only um, is it packed full of key uh, city data and trends analysis and some standout profiles of city leaders, it will also hopefully inject a bit of love into your life. And um, with the cover line, Urban Romance, we explore the really complex issues that cities are facing around recapturing the hearts of the masses post-pandemic to bring people back to the hustle and the bustle. So we speak to city experts and commentators on how cities can shake off some of the issues that they've encountered during and post-pandemic, including a re-evaluation of development with, a more, with more of a focus on public realm and moving away from a demonization of public transport, which is a very interesting, um, interesting and complex issue in its own right. So I do recommend having a read, grab a coffee, grab a coffee if you want, but also grab a copy. Um, <laughs> it's really good stuff. Um, but when it comes to UK cities, we have six people in this room who are far better placed to comment and discuss that subject than me. So I'd like to introduce them to you now, and then we'll kick off our panel. So we have Richard Rees, Managing Director and Head of National Development Services at Savills UK, Barry McEwen, partner at Shoesmiths, Tony Reeves, Chief, Chief Executive, Liverpool City Council, Ken Poole, Head of Economic Development, Cardiff Capital Region, Sarah Green, Chief Executive, Newcastle Gateshead Initiative, and Ben Sanderson, Managing Director, Real Estate, Aviva Investors. Thank you so much to all of you for joining me today. So it's been a challenging year. Actually, it's been more than a challenging year. It's been a challenging few years, um, I'd say. I don't know if you agree. Um, and cities are having to work pretty hard. Um, I think we're going to start off by specifically talking about the pandemic um, and then post-pandemic recovery for UK cities in terms of international investment. But then beyond that, it might be useful as well to look at some of the wider, the wider challenges. And then we'll look into some of the drivers, because obviously we want to then get into the positives. Um, but Richard, as you're sitting closest to me, I'm sure you could see that coming. Let's start with you. Um, it has been a bit of a challenging year. How, how are UK cities faring? Good morning. Um, yeah, I think the, there's amazing resilience to the UK cities. There's amazing resilience to the property investment market. If you look back over the last two or three years, we've, we've had some pretty uh, significant challenges, everything from Brexit to COVID and, and now Ukraine, and all of which put challenges in front of investors. But as we were just discussing with Ben before we started, there's more, there's more money than there are opportunities. Uh, there are... There is a huge weight of investment, and I think most of the investment uh, community is hugely resilient, uh, and their appetite remains undiminished for good quality assets. And perhaps the one thing that uh, the one point I'd make about the uh, COVID and the, and the restrictions that have come through is that it's accelerated quite a lot of changes that were happening already, uh, and some of the issues around uh, ESG and how we perceive property have become highlighted so there's plenty of challenges around and i think the ongoing resilience of our sector uh, will continue to be challenged but i'm i'm confident it will continue to be uh, positive and strong 
Thank you very much. Barry, would you agree resilience being the order of the day? Yeah. Oh, microphone. Definitely. Microphone. Hi. Um, I think uh, it's a really interesting time, actually. I think the, the real estate market is, has been in a, a kind of state of flux for the last couple of years. But in that flux and, uh, and in that change, there is opportunity. And I think, I think that's the key thing that investors see with the UK market, that it's opened and driven forward, I think, changes that were underlying in a lot of the, the market economics and the, 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 the sort of regional strategies that were there and brought them very much to the fore. I think ESG and sustainability and net zero is key now. And I think in terms of the majority of investment decisions that are taken around the country, there's now been brought to the fore a sort of focus on that, which, which was there in the background, but certainly wasn't one of the key drivers in a lot of investment decisions. And I think, I think that's got to be positive for the industry and for the, for the UK as a whole, in terms of our focus on that. Thank you very much. And Tony, same question to you. I think the, um, I don't think money's the issue. I think there's plenty of um, debt, equity, a little bit more difficult on occasions. Um, the, the really key issue to get things moving in a lot of our cities, uh, getting the right projects, and the right projects need the right occupiers to de-risk them. At the moment, quite a lot, you know, if you're looking at the office market, for example, um, quite a lot of um, big national organizations who had strategies to change their real estate um, are still pausing those. Um, we're still having conversations with them, very confident that will come back. But until, until people are ready to come back to work, till organizations are ready to bring all their people back to work, um, I think we'll still have a slight hiatus. Um, so for me, it's about great projects underpinned by good occupiers, um, and then things will really free up. And I, th I don't think that's a, a systemic problem. I think it's a short-term issue as confidence returns. And we've had this debate over the last couple of years about is the office dead, are city centres dead? I'm hearing lots of people wanting their staff back to work. I think we've all accepted productivity. It's it, it, look it help, helping. It, it, it's helped us get through a really difficult period by everybody working virtually. But with new recruits who've never met their colleagues and things like that, how do you build an organization culture? Um, how do you build productivity and a sense of purpose? Um, I think all of that is changing. In the next couple of years, we'll see a dramatic shift, not, not completely away from agile working, but back to a very different way, uh, certainly very different from what we've seen over the last two years. And I think that will really help move the market again as well. Thank you very much. I'm going to come back to that point in a minute. It's a very interesting one. Um, so, Ken, feel free to pick up on that point or back to the original question in terms of, um, you know, how, how UK cities are faring, in your opinion. Uh, I agree with most, most of the comments. And uh, I think from a Cardiff perspective, um, we've been pleasantly surprised that within, within, within COVID, levels of activity have been, have been quite strong, both from an investment and from an you know, occupier perspective. And I think that revolves around a smaller city, more compact city, and investors and businesses looking to see how safe the city is for them and, 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 also, and also, also staff. I think the other important uh, factor that, that hasn't gone away, but it's been magnified by the pandemic, is the importance of people, people and skills and skills. And I think that's, uh, that's still as strong as ever and obviously what with the problems of in terms of the recovery working working from home for for example investors 
want to know what you as a city are doing to improve their access to talent and, uh, and, and, and staff. And I think what we've been trying, trying, trying to do is to look at interventions that not, not only broaden the talent pool, but also deepen it, deepen it as well to demonstrate the, how we, we could help businesses access perhaps those people who are currently inactive and bringing them back into the labor force by providing tools and mechanisms mechanisms to, you know, to do that. Property is still a key issue. ESG is, a big, is, is, is now going to be a big challenge. Uh, you know, building, building more space, uh, which, which, which meets the uh, ESG principles. And the other interesting challenge, which, which I believe can turn into an opportunity, is actually repurposing uh, a, a lot of space. And, and we're working with the private sector and also developed our own mechanisms as well to uh, accelerate the repurposing of space previously occupied by retail and other users that have been impacted by the pandemic to provide a broader range of, of opportunities for investors. But going back to the, la the last comment, um, yes, inquiries are important. More occupiers, there's a degree of uncertainty uh, at the moment, particularly on, on the macro and, international, in, and international scale. And that's going to hold, hold back investment. But I think it's about preparing the city for the return of investment. We believe, again, the city is certainly not dead. There was a lot of uh, negativity in the early stages of the pandemic. Cities are finished. They're not finished. City centers are not finished. And we certainly see a level of interest still that gives us a lot of confidence that the city center will come back. It'll be a different city center. It won't be as, as, as dependent upon retail, perhaps, as, as it was in the past, but it'll certainly be different and it'll certainly be making a major contribution to the economy of, of, of Cardiff's region and Wales as well. Thank you very much. Um, Sarah. In Newcastle, we're really excited. There is no question that the pandemic has effectively changed our city and the opportunities forever. But actually, it's unlocked some things that we wanted to accelerate, and it's allowed us to step back for a moment and think what's really important. And what we're seeing is we're going to work, have to work even harder as a city to bring people in, to bring investors in. And, and what, what they want, they don't want one building anymore. They want to talk about investing in place. And they want to be with us for the long term. And they want to understand our vision, our goals around environment, our goals around sustainability, um, our goals around skills. And they want to be part of that objective and part of that long-term vision for the city. But if they can see that vision, and if we can supply the sites where they can truly make place, then they are really keen to get behind us and stay with us for the long term. And that is far more exciting than piecemeal investment. So we think there's a fantastic opportunity to recreate place. And we're just really excited to be part of that. Excellent. Thank you very much. And Ben, same question to you. <clears throat> yeah, I would agree with many of the points that have been, that have been made. I think from a capital perspective, what um, has happened in the last couple of years is capital has, has really seen the power and influence it can have in shaping cities and having a positive social and economic impact. And that's an acceleration of a, to Richard's point earlier, it's an acceleration of a trend that was already there. Capital realises that it can have a positive social impact on many of our towns and cities. And, and if you combine that new realisation, if you like, or accelerating realisation with the fact that many of the capital uh, partners we work with and many of the capital partner, uh, uh, the, the, the capital sources are structurally underinvested in real estate, 
it means there's a positive dynamic as you as you look forward. I guess one thing to, to caution a lot of the optimism, which I'm pleased to see is on the panel, is that I think we're all acknowledging there's, there's change happened and happening. And from a capital perspective, from an investor perspective, that leads to uncertainty and that has to be priced and acknowledged. You know, cities will be different. Cities will survive and prosper, but we have to price those risks and understand them and then invest for the long term alongside partners like this from the people on the panel. Um, and let, let's touch on that for a minute. Um, and Ben, we'll stay, we'll stay with you on this point. Um, it, it, uncertainty is, is a very difficult thing to deal with, particularly when it comes to investment. There is a lot of uncertainty at the moment, and the world has sort of proven time and again over the last few years that things can happen in the blink of an eye. Um, how, how do cities deal with this? Because it, it's sort of an ongoing issue, and it feels like every time there's sort of a bit of a breath for air, something else happens. So how can that uncertainty be built in, as you say? I, th I think you, you, can, you can deal with that uncertainty by acknowledging the nature of what we are doing, which is investing in real estate for the long term. Um, and that allows you to, to, you know, one of my favourite expressions is see through the valley, understand that there will be bumps along the way. But if you invested in the right space and with the right partners in the right cities for the long term and are doing it for the right motivation, that doesn't, in, you know, doesn't negate all risks for sure, but it helps a lot. And that is where you have to take a long term perspective on things. Now, clearly, things like exactly what you invest in and, and your entry price is going to be very, very important. But understanding the nature of the occupiers that you're developing the real estate for, not just being um, affected by the liquidity. I mean, you know, again, we're, we know there is a lot of liquidity out there, but the reality is you'll be invested for the long term in some of our major schemes that we're doing all over the UK. So acknowledging that if you invest for the right reasons, you understand the nature and the changing nature of real estate, that doesn't negate all the risks, but allows you to understand better. And understanding that, you know, real estate will have, and it, it, it's the point we've heard on, on the panel, you know, as Ken said, real estate will have a different use through its life. Real estate will have to evolve. Um, that fits with the net zero agenda of not knocking down buildings, refurbishing them, but also it, it, it meets with how we use our real estate, it will evolve and change. And acknowledging that when you invest and trying to understand that is a way of mitigating some of the risk. That said, things will always knock you sideways like we've seen in the Ukraine and, and inflation and construction costs and everything else. But uh, you know, assessing those risks at the start helps for sure. Thank you very much. And Tony, I'm just going to come back to you because um, Ben mentioned you know, occupiers working with the right occupiers, how important that is. You said that Money isn't the issue. It's it's getting you know the right you know the right projects and the right occupiers. So what what can cities do when there's that sort of sort of double whammy of you know this is how we're going to mitigate against risk. It's all about you know the, the the right projects and the right occupiers. When at the moment because of a previous situation, the occupiers are not as forthcoming as perhaps they were previously. So we can't we can't flick a switch and and, and sort it um, just just from a a city perspective. But what we absolutely can do is to play to our strengths, um, not trying to replicate other cities, but actually working out what, what Liverpool, take, take Liverpool as an example, is really good at. Um, we think our, our really significant growth is going to come in the knowledge quarter in Liverpool. We've got um, a lot of development taking place there. We've recently completed um, the spine, a 200,000 square foot um, office development the highest rated building on the international well standard for health and well-being, and it's home to the Royal College of Physicians. We're following that up with, in partnership with Bruntwood SciTech, 
um, with the next building in Paddington Village at the heart of the Knowledge Quarter. Uh, and that will be a health and life sciences building as well. Um, we're working really hard to grow that ecosystem, that triple helix of public, private sector, academia, really concentrating on our, our strengths in infectious, infectious disease control and data management around that. Um, and there's huge growth potential in that space. We've recently launched the Pandemic Institute in Liverpool with significant funding from corporates from the UK and North America because of the assets we have in the city and because of the way we address the, um, the COVID crisis, very different to other cities, where we piloted mass testing, um, not to popular acclaim from other places, but it was absolutely the right thing to do. And that has really built our profile in that space. So I think for us, it's absolutely concentrating on our strengths, making sure we've got really clear, coherent plans for places, completely support what Sarah was saying about taking a long-term view of building partnerships, um, Liverpool in the past, and you all know about some of the history that we've had to deal with, uh, it's dealt with with the you know, alleged corruption, etc. Um, but, but the real issue in the past was they, they were just pepper-potting deals all over the place with investors who were looking to make a quick buck or developers who are looking to make a quick buck. We're taking a completely different approach, prepared to take that strategic long-term approach and make sure that we play to our strengths and we create the conditions for long-term partnerships with good investors who want to have skin in the game for the long term and build quality, make great places, and actually create a sustainable, thriving, inclusive city. It's, you know, there's no rocket science there. I'm really confident we've got the ingredients to make it work. It's about holding our nerve, concentrating on our strengths, and building the right relationships. We do that, and Liverpool will absolutely thrive. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to come to um, Ken and Sarah just off the back of that to talk about thoughts on, the, on their, their regions. And then I'm going to come to Richard and Barry for a bit of a, a wider view on what we've been discussing. So Ken and Sarah, you know, we've just heard Tony there talking about, you know, holding, holding nerve and long term views, which I know, Sarah, you've already mentioned. In terms of your regions in these challenging times, what, what's your strategy? Uh, I, I would endorse much of what's been what's been said in terms of uh, first of all in terms of investment trends. You know, um, while the pandemic has been difficult, there have been businesses and sectors investing. People like fintech, cyber, artificial intelligence, where we've seen a noticeable growth growth in the business. But I think the importance of, important from a city and a region perspective is providing the private private sector with a strong vision and more important, effective partnerships. And if, if my leader was here today, he would, he would say that in the last 25 years within Cardiff and the region, everything that's been achieved is positive has been achieved in partnership with the private sector. Given the private sector the vision and the confidence to invest, even in these difficult times, and a key part of that vision and confidence is, is building for the future, particularly infrastructure that can help address some of the challenges the, the city and region is, is facing. And one of the key pieces of infrastructure that we're putting in place currently and will be launched ne next year is the Metro, which is the electrification of our urban rail transportation system feeding into Cardiff and serving 1.6 milli uh, million people. An old diesel-based system linking our communities uh, in, in the valley hinterland into Cardiff and tying up Cardiff with, with them. It's poor, 
it's slow, it's certainly not green, and as a result of the partnership approach with both government and the private sector, we've invested a billion pound <coughs> in the first, first stage of, of that, that transformation that will lead to shorter journey times, but more importantly, connect people with the city and the, and, and the city with the people more effectively. But it's the first time, certainly in Wales, that a transportation project has been seen as an agent of regeneration. And as a result, businesses are looking at the metro, looking at the alternative investment locations that can provide them with, and more importantly, provide them with the confidence that for the first time you will have a functional travel to work area where people outside the city can get into the city in an, in an easy and uh, <clears throat> efficient, efficient manner, uh, manner. So it's all well and good having the vision Strong partnerships are, are important, and evidence of partnership working as well. That's important for the private, private sector. And then giving them the confidence that the basic infrastructure is being put, in, being put in and enhanced. So I think those are the ingredients that we're focusing on. Thank you very much. And Sarah, I know that you sort of started off to talk to talk a little bit about what you're focusing on, but any more detail to go into off the back of what we've heard since your initial comments? So just to go one step backwards, I think we have to recognise where UK cities sit globally. So in 2020, FDI globally went down 35%. In the UK, it only went down 17%. And so actually, we start from quite a strong base looking at in where international money is coming from. We are not as risky as other places. And therefore, we have to see that as an opportunity because that's the really interesting thing about the pandemic was it was a proper global moment where the world stopped rather than specific markets stopped, which is quite unusual. So actually, for all the challenges, I still think at a UK cities level, we need to be positive because we're in a better place than other places and their money is still there and it has to be invested somewhere. So I think for cities like Newcastle and you know my colleagues here, Liverpool, there are opportunities out there because global money is looking to go somewhere. And, and I think it is really about looking and talking to different people and making sure that we are having those conversations and that we are marketing what we've got in that way. 60% of people still live in cities in the UK. So we need to get rid of this rhetoric about the city is dead. The city is changing and that creates opportunities. But, but we do need to make sure that we take a holistic view. We cannot look at property on its own. We need to look at the cultural offer. We need to look at the entertainment offer. We need to look at the health offer, the sporting offer. We need to find reasons why our cities are destinations and people come into them. We need to work much harder with the surrounding neighbourhoods because people maybe won't live in the centre of town anymore. They may live out and come in a couple of days a week. So actually the connectivity you're talking about, the transport infrastructure, how we work together on bigger areas and agglomerate our demand and talk in a much, a much more holistic sense about what's required for people to live successful lives. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to really work those partnerships with our surrounding local authorities to create what, what's the hub city look like. People are going to come in two days a week. What are they going to do when they're here? How can we make sure we maximise the spend? How can we retain the footfall in the city for as long as possible? How do we make sure that they have the vital services they need? And the critical point for employers is 
It's skills, it's your point every time through. It's the fight for talent, whether we talk to the public sector or the private sector. And therefore working with our universities and colleges has been absolutely critical. So most of the key developments are being done in partnership, whether it's with the universities, whether it's with our fantastic NHS hospitals, which we have like in Liverpool. So we've got some fantastic stuff happening. There are real sectors that won through the pandemic, and actually a number of our UK cities are very well placed in those, including Newcastle. We've got a fantastic life sciences um, growing sector, a really strong digital and gaming sector. Ubisoft put another 500 jobs in because everybody turned to gaming through the pandemic. So there are real upsides, and we need to just grab those jobs. They're exciting jobs, they're well-paid jobs, they're jobs that young people aspire to. So when we talk to our universities, people want to do these jobs. It's fantastic. We need to secure them in the city centre, not on out-of-town parks, because we need those people coming into jobs, going to the theatre, going to the cinema, buying something on their way home, spending some time having their tea, and, and that's how we get the spend in the city centre. That's how we create a vibrant city centre. But what's going to be really interesting for the UK is it's an important... It's a point where we can create distinctive city centres and not have identical city centres. So I think back to your point about making Liverpool the best Liverpool. We don't want Newcastle to look like Liverpool. We want the best Newcastle. We want the best Liverpool. And unfortunately, city centres with retail often became a bit bland. We had the same things in every city centre. It's an opportunity to rethink, recreate, and create the best we can, but each one special and distinctive. Well, I defy anyone in the room not to feel positive after that. Thank you very much. I certainly feel positive. Um, so, Richard and Barry, I'm going to come to you now. A lot has been said, and I think it'd be really useful now to get a bit of an overarching, overarching view. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to remember everything, although it's all been brilliant. Um, so, actually, Barry, I'm going to start with you because you were nodding along a lot when there was a discussion around private sector partnerships, how important that was. Yeah, no, I, th I think the, the one of the key things I think I've just come out of listening to the 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 various individual cities talking is the real passion that's coming across and enthusiasm for the changing landscape of what's in front of all of us. And I, and I think that's such a positive thing. In the, and from a private sector perspective, looking at it, that passion and that drive and that enthusiasm and that desire to, to have a long-term strategic view of the way in which our cities are going to be used in the future, I think is what drives and will attract real quality inward investment to all of the big cities in the UK. And I think one of the key things, I think, is this changing landscape of how we use the cities. It's not just a destination for office workers. It will remain a destination, possibly not five days a week. So I don't think we'll ever go back to every day in the office. So what we need to look at is how do we ensure that we've got the footfall to drive and enhance the locations that we're in, and that's investing in infrastructure, it's absolutely investing in public realm works and making our cities feel individual, but still have all of the things that we want to be able to attract the people back in because it needs people because without the people, none of it really works. And I think that's that key driver um, for all of us and that's retail, leisure, entertainment and absolutely city centre living. I think particularly in Glasgow, there's a massive drive over the next five years to double the city centre population. And it's to fill that, ga that gap, that void in the mid the midweek when offices aren't as used as maximum capacity. Um, uh, as, at Shoesmiths, we are, we are very much still focused on our participation and uh, 
impact in the, the business community in each of the individual cities that we're in. And where others are looking and pausing about their office locations, we've recently just committed to three new offices in, in Birmingham, Edinburgh, and my office in Glasgow we moved into a couple of months ago. So we definitely see that the office life is still very much part of it, but it can only be part of it. That holistic approach you mentioned, I think, is key. Thank you very much. Um, and Richard, so we've, we've heard a lot of positivity on, on the panel. We've also heard some realism, um, but a lot of positivity. Do you, do you feel that positivity? Do you, I mean, I think it was, I think it was Sarah who said um, that global money is looking to go somewhere. Was, that was your comment, Sarah, wasn't it? I mean, that, that's a pretty positive comment. Is that something that you would recognise? Yeah, definitely, definitely recognise that. I think the huge range and depth and variety of UK cities is such an important thing for us to, to celebrate uh, and be very proud of. I think from a Savile's perspective, we have major offices in all of the UK cities. Um, our new Newcastle office um, recently opened uh, and it's doing really, really well. And actually, like you, like Shoe Smiths, we're, we're very positive about using the office uh, as a part of our platform. Not all the time, but most of the time. Um, and I think cities are about humans interacting. It's a bit like MIPIM. You have the, the joy of chat, discussion, collaboration, working together. All and offices are in the south, everything was in the south of France. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People will be straight back. <laughs> if, we, if we could take the weather. <laughs> the, um, what, what's, what's interesting to me is that the, where cities get it right, and you, we see such a, such a variety of approaches, is where the public and the private sector work together. Because it's not all public sector, it's not all private sector. And to me, it's about identifying themes for areas, deliverable development propositions, because a lot of our offices, a lot of our retail isn't necessarily fit for purpose going forward. It needs to be changed. That's a there's a huge opportunity in that. And actually making sure that there's deliverable schemes for, for people to invest in, for people to occupy. And I, and I, I like Ken's story about the, the transport in, in Cardiff. A lot of it is transportation, a lot of it is infrastructure. And if, you could, if, if we could get the, both central government and local government to focus on deliverable infrastructure, I think we've got, we're, we're, in, we're making real progress then. And I think we can begin then to really enjoy the differences between all the UK cities, which stand up, as, as the, all the panel have said, which stand up very well to, to comparison with, with many places across the world. Thank you very much. And you've actually sort of done a neat segue there into a question that I was going to get onto, which is about how government can use its own investment, um, you know, into infrastructure to boost the UK's value offer. Um, so you mentioned it. Is it is it happening? Is it happening enough? Um, you know, how how can that be encouraged? Um, so Ben, let's start with you on that. Yeah, it's, it's a very good question, and and one of the themes that's coming out here is is this importance of uh, you know real estate investment working with. Uh, local local and national government but also infrastructure has been mentioned a few times and, and i work in a, in a real assets business at aviva real estate debt and equity alongside uh infrastructure debt and equity investment colleagues uh we sit down you know three or four times a week talk about opportunities and i think that type of approach that we've got where we're looking at relative value we're looking at the way in which our equity business in real estate our infrastructure business in debt can put together packages of capital that will help some of the issues and some of the colleagues on the on the panel here to deliver those long-term objectives is really important. And if you think about what you know, the group that I work with in Aviva overall and Aviva Investors with the capital we run are trying to do, these sort of themes fit very well into this idea of a real assets 
capital source that can help provide solutions. But the, clearly, private capital is only one part of it. There has to be a role for government. And I'm quite encouraged, actually, by some of the messages I, I, I see from government. But also, if you take one small example, if you think about the dynamism I'm seeing from uh, an agency like Holmes England, for example, they're broadening their brief, to, to it seems to me, to not just be housing units per se, housing-led regeneration. Because clearly, places to live in city centres are going to be part of the story of our future of our cities. Using their capital really well, working with local authorities, working with capital sources like us to pump prime the future. And that's, and the development, you know, the new chair there and the new CEO there are talking about regeneration as well in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a long-term sense. So... If that's an example of the way government's going to play a role in this regeneration, I think it's really positive. Not perfect yet, for sure, but really positive signs that the government is looking, you know, is looking long term, is using its capital in the right way, and partnering up with, you know, the likes of us on the on the panel. Thank you very much. Let's come to some of the regions now to, to talk about that same question about government um, investment and how that's going. So, Sarah, let's start with you. What are your thoughts? I think there's lots of different ways that government can help us. One of the great examples we've got is on Pilgrim Street in Newcastle, which was a scheme that's been stuck for 20 years right in the centre of town. Um, huge scheme, um, and nothing's happened. Nothing's happened for 20 years. And, and what actually government's done is, is created a 10-year lease on a move for HMRC jobs. So 9,000 9, jobs secured, bang smack in the city centre, which has allowed the further development of that site and has enabled us to bring in private sector investment to develop such very, very difficult sites that could have got long-term solutions. We've now got another 6,000 jobs going onto that site. So actually, you know, 15,000 jobs, bang smack, in the city centre, which then creates that footfall, which is allows us to create the culture around it, to put the, you know, the sandwich shops, the small businesses, and, and the bigger assets. So there are real ways, tangible ways, that government can use its jobs its money to actually really unlock some quite difficult things for us, which are to their benefit as well, because in the long term, they now know that they're going to attract better talent into that new building in the city centre next to the two universities. And they thought they're, they're securing their future talent pool at the same time as enabling the city to move forward. Thank you very much. And Ken, same question to you around government investment and involvement. Remember, in Cardiff, we have two governments. Welsh government and UK government. So we have two opportunities for investment. And uh, I'm pleased to say we have a good partnership with, you know, with both. Um, going back to taking the UK government at first, working with them significantly on terms of government relocations, and they've invested significantly in, H, uh, in a, a major government hub in the city, creating 5,000 5, jobs, use their, their resources, their, 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 their lease their least potential to build a major facility at the heart of Central Square and helping us to complete Central Square, which is in the heart of the city in a billion pound uh, investment and now the most successful regeneration, re regeneration scheme in Wales. But also looking to UK government for further resources. We're, all, we're obviously mindful of the levelling up fund uh, and opportunities that could, that, that, that could come through there. You know, we're looking at the, what numbers will come come with that and uh, and the long-term commitment that's important because large parts of wales and our region have lost european funding as well so there's a shared prosperity fund we're looking we're looking for the, for that to replace because these funds are all about infrastructure and this is i see the role for uk government is infrastructure support 
infrastructure, in terms of property, in terms of transport transportation, and that's where we, you know, we see a lot more uh, active investment and involvement from UK government. And also, let's, from a city perspective, let's be mindful of the devolution of responsibilities as well. You know, give the city more, give the city more powers, so that we can actually uh, determine large parts of uh, uh, the spend of budget, but budget ourselves. So that's something we're, we're speaking with government about, and at, the, uh, at Welsh government level as well. At Welsh government level, obviously working with them in terms of the um, uh, the, the return return to, to work strategies. We've set up with them a, a major investment fund to help repurpose buildings in the city centre. Large amounts of capital, interest-free loans as well, to look at some of our buildings that are being vacated by the, by the retail sector and now going through a repurposing uh, a, a pro project. So with government, we've, we've actually managed to get significant resources with them. And I think that's, that's one of the areas that, that will benefit 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 the, the city and the final piece of the jigsaw the government are an active investment uh, investors in the delivery of the metro uh, which is a, obviously a regional transport transportation system so I think there's a, a lot of good partnership working with government taking place I guess from a city perspective you know what we would ask is perhaps a, additional resources we know thing we know things are tight there's plenty more schemes that we can we can bring forward within Cardiff and, and the capital region with additional additional resources and also help then leverage additional investment in from the private sector, particularly for those difficult schemes heavily focused around infrastructure. Thank you very much. And the same question to you, Tony. I think <clears throat> agree with, with with comments my colleagues have made. Um, government um, moving functions out of London uh, into the regions. I think it works for government, but it also has a massive impact on the place. The strength of government government covenant is obviously fantastic. Uh, we've had a, a consolidation of all the uh, HMRC resources in the area into India buildings in Liverpool with thousands of jobs, and that's obviously a catalyst for regeneration around that. So lots of positives. Um, absolutely agree with the infrastructure point. Um, hugely disappointed with um, the, the lack of ambition from government around Northern Powerhouse Rail, the potential to connect all the key cities to the north with high-speed links so that people from Newcastle uh, 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 could work in Liverpool and vice, vice versa. It's nuts, quite frankly. The agglomeration benefits of an investment like that would absolutely—that would be the biggest contribution to, to leveling up the government could make. Um, there's, there's lots of positives happening and, and, and good things. I think the leveling up fund that has come out is at the moment is being allocated to individual projects for political purposes, and it's, it's going to have very little impact in terms of leveling up. Real leveling up is about systemic change, about inclusive growth and really positive public sector reform that tackles things like health inequality uh, and allows us to build more productivity. If you look at the productivity gap between the core cities and the UK average, we did a study with OECD a couple of years ago about this and contrast that with our French, German and North American counterparts. Other than Bristol, all the core cities underperform the national average in productivity. 
and our national productivity is well behind those other countries as well. Um, we need to sort that out. There's actually deprivation and inequality that is meaning people are losing 10 years of their working life through poor health. We won't level up unless we tackle those issues, and that requires a systemic approach. I sort of get a bit fed up of this sterile debate about centralization versus devolution. It's about government doing their job and the local state with local partnerships with the private sector doing their job and getting the two aligned around a single set of outcomes that really will tackle the underlying issues and unlock the potential of our places. And that's what I mean by place leadership. I think we've got all of those ingredients in place in Liverpool, really clear approach. What we do need is multi-year settlements from government. Um, I have to say, I'm a Welshman, but the Barnet formula is an absolute joke, where the, the devolved administrations get significantly more funding than the English cities from government. That does need to be sorted out because quite often we lack the capacity to pursue all of the good things that we, that we, that we can do. And um, investing in those places properly, systemically, over the long term, allowing us to create the conditions for the sorts of partnerships we've been talking about this morning, we can make a huge difference. But if I, if I was to say the thing that would make the biggest difference in terms of levelling up the north, it's getting that um, cross-north infrastructure right. Uh, it's an, you know, the, the oldest commercial railway in the world is from Manchester to Liverpool. It took an hour, that first commercial rail journey. Normally, it still takes an hour to get from Liverpool to Manchester on the train. And that's 200 years later. And it, you know, it's, it's absolutely shocking what they did. I think that's officially point, point made there. So thank, thank you very much, Ken. I won't respond on the Barnard formula because it'll keep uh, everyone here for the next day and a half. I did wonder whether you were going yeah. to respond. <laughs> well, I just wanted to make one interesting point about le le levelling up and uh, r resources. Uh, government looking to level up uh, the regions, you know, with the, with, with the South East southeast of England, but we need more resources because often within city regions itself, there's a significant disparity between parts of the city region. And we need, and we're working on resources to actually lift parts of the city, you know, city region, which are often, you know, uh, pretty deprived and have extreme challenges. So a lot of a lot of the challenges are actually intercity as well. And we need resources for that. With the government focusing on levelling up generally between the between the national and and the regions is helpful. But there's more resources needed needed, particularly to address the the challenges within city regions as well. Thank you very much. So I'm going to move on to a point now that I think really is for. Richard, Barry, and Ben for the re for the reason well become obvious really, which is um, where are the main opportunities beyond London? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I've come to come to our city regions too on this, but I think in, in the first instance, let's let's sort of speak to to Ben and Barry and Richard on that. Um, who would like to take that question first? Well, the answer is obviously uh, Newcastle, <laughs> yeah. Liverpool, and Cardiff, isn't it? Uh, of course. Uh, Question over. Right, safety. moving on. Yeah, I, I guess if you, let's stand back and say, what does what do investors want? You know, and and, and the, you know the title of this this topic is about international capital as well as UK capital. And international capital is attracted to the UK because of a, a a deep domestic market, which means there's liquidity here by the structure of the market in terms of the rule of law and the investment infrastructure they've got on that security, um, and then 
the third element of, of an investment decision um, is, is economic growth and the prospect of that. And the UK still does well on all those measures. Growth outlook a bit more challenging maybe given the recent events and the, the, the growth dynamic looks a bit weaker, but not that bad relatively speaking. So those are the dynamics people are looking for. I guess what we, we would be looking for, and, and I think um, others would be the same in the UK, is that dynamism from the occupier base because let's let's be clear you know there is liquidity um in the in the real estate market in real assets uh, overall with structural under under investment you know investors want more exposed to real assets but there is a bit of a tension between liquidity and, and, and solvency if you like and what i mean by that is the liquidity in the market versus the the solvency and the ability to pay the rent and and those sort of things so what you one needs to have is that confidence and certainty of a strong occupier base, of a dynamic local economy, which will allow you to get into these long-term partnerships with Liverpool, Cardiff and Newcastle as well, to be able to deliver the sort of returns that your investors want. Because let's be clear, what am I doing? I'm investing on behalf of insurance policyholders with profits investors, not multi-billionaire oligarchs. We're investing on behalf of policyholders in Aviva policies and other capital sources from all over the world that are typically small individuals, they need to get that income return from their investments. So dynamism of the local economy and a diverse occupier base is a key thing. And all these cities have got that. It's about us finding the right real estate solutions to enable us to get access to that dynamic local economy. Thank you. Richard? I think perhaps we can learn something from the COVID crisis and the approach to the vaccinations uh, and the dynamism of actually creating the vaccination programme and learning from our great universities, uh, some of our great healthcare propositions. And where, where we've seen the, such amazing growth in both Oxford, Cambridge and increasing some of the cities, Manchester, Newcastle, is about that harnessing the academia and the research and the development. And it all goes back to people and skills. But where we, we get that dynamic, dynamic uh, innovation coming coming through into business then actually the real estate question is the end of is we're, we're part of the solution we're, we're we actually provide the buildings for people to do that innovation within so it's trying to get back to the the themes the the agreed themes where, where we can be different to any other country to any other part of the world and and i think we've got with there's some there's some untapped collaboration between universities all, all parts of academia, local authorities and business. And we, we've made some good progress in that. We, I wonder if we perhaps could learn a bit from what, what, what we've done over the last few years on that. Thank you very much. Um, and Barry, same question to you around, um, you know, what investors are looking for beyond London? I think one of the key messages I think we, we have to get out is that the, the UK cities may be competing with each other at a stage and a certain level, but ultimately we are competing on the global stage for inward investment across the globe. So this isn't just about Glasgow competing with Newcastle or Liverpool, it's Glasgow competing with all of the major cities in the world to attract real occupier demand, real investment and real, and real spend. So I think that's one of the, the key messages. And I think, and I think it's been touched on a couple of times by, by individuals on the panel, it's the cities playing to their real strengths, not trying to be everything for everyone, but focusing on the things that the cities can really do well, the, the educational establishments, the life sciences sectors, the financial services sectors, and going out there and being best in class. 
and not all competing with each other, but identifying the thing that drives the difference that you can show to attract proper investment. And as I said, at a global scale, that's where it, the, the change will come, I think. Very much. Lots of people nodding on the panel there. So clearly a, clearly a point which is um, agreed upon. Um, we've got about... The, well, we've, I say we've got a ban. We've got 14 minutes left. That is quite specific. Um, just a reminder that if anybody would like to um, ask any questions, you can do so via Slido. And a little heads up to our panel that as the final question in about 10 minutes' time, I'm going to ask you all to tell me your favourite place in the city you either live or were born. So I'm going to give you a bit of time to think about that. Okay, but anyway, back to the questions here. Um, so we've, we've touched on sectors, um, which um, is a really interesting one. And life sciences has come up, and we had an excellent panel on life sciences yesterday. There's a lot of talk around the future of the office. There's a lot of talk around how cities are evolving and changing. We've also talked about repurposing space. But looking at those sectors specifically... Where are we seeing interest? And, and not just where are we seeing interest now, but where do you think we're going to be seeing growth? Where do you think investors are going to be thinking, that's where I want to, that's where I want to put, my, put my money? Um, so let's start with Sarah on that. So I think we're going to get more specific. So, you know, you look at most cities and they talk about digital. We need to get specific about what areas of digital we're really good at. So when we know we're really good at cyber, we're really good at gaming, we're really good at immersive technologies. We've got a really strong enterprise software solution and public service software solution. So actually getting really, really niche about those areas and attracting those businesses and creating clusters around them has been working really well for us. Um, on the life sciences piece, again, um, we have historically had more medical trials in, in Newcastle than any other city. So we do about 14,000 trials a year, and that's a combination of a really strong NHS base, a really strong medical school, um, and, 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 and the private sector working together. So again, I think when you look at what's happened through the pandemic, we have a real opportunity around that. And then if you look at our research base, if you take in Durham University, Newcastle University, Northumbria, and we also have Sunderland there, um, we, we actually, we, when we come out the next ref, we think we will have outside London um, the, one of the greatest research intensive uh, opportunities across the UK. So I think it will be, will be second only to London and the Golden Triangle. So there's a real, real uh, expertise there that can be utilised to really grow those next jobs. So it's retaining those students and giving those the opportunity. But we know at the end of the day, we've got a lower cost of living, but we can give you a really high standard of living. So as jobs go much more remote, actually bringing people to our fantastic city, our fantastic countryside, our coastal offer, there is something really good there as long as we've got the right houses for them and, the, and, and they have a connection to a job and ideally a hub in the city centre, we've got something brilliant. Thank you very much. Barry, same question to you. Oh, microphone. <laughs> I always forget. Um, I think from, from our perspective, I think the... Sorry, remind me of the question, actually. I would get lost in listening to Sarah. No, that's fine. So the question was... Um, <laughs> now you've asked me to remind you of the question. I'm thinking, what was the question? No, the question... <laughs> what did I answer? The, quest the question yeah. was around sectors. The question was the sectors that investors are looking at. This is Sarah, you're, yeah. you're too good. Everyone's yeah. like no. completely engaged. Then what was the question? Sectors, the sectors that are attracting investment and will attract investment going forward. I think definitely, I think across the board, across the UK, I think we are so lucky to have real top quality 
global universities and colleges. So I think life sciences and research, I think probably every city, major city in the UK is looking at that, really focused. Um, logistics, both main distribution centres and uh, the growing sort of last mile logistics, I think is a key uh, sector. And then I think where, where I see the biggest growth, and it's something I'm personally involved in a lot, is in the, the built to rent sector. I think city centre living, good quality new housing across the board, not just private rented, but mid-market rent and affordable. I think, again, there are vast swathes of money out there that are looking at these as safer long-term investment propositions. And I think that's where there's a global flow of money coming into the UK in that sector. Thank you very much, Ben. Same question to you. Sector investment. You talked earlier about long-term view. Uh, I, I think... Um I mean, there are lots of opportunities in in the post-COVID world in terms of, for example, repositioning uh, office and retail space to make it more appropriate for the flexible world of, of work and play that we're, we're going to see. And, and that's going to be a big focus of a lot of our capitalists to make sure that, you know, the, the office stock really reflects the creative occupiers and their needs. And that's, that's going to be really important. However, I, I think that one of the triggers to a lot of the challenges that many of our cities face going forward comes back to housing. Um, housing is the biggest social and economic challenge, I would argue, that the UK faces. A lack of good quality affordable housing at different parts of the housing, housing stock, the wrong houses in the wrong places, too expensive houses in the wrong places, social housing, affordable housing, rental housing. There's a huge amount of interest from capital in our business, for sure, we're financing, uh, for example, the, the other day we, we financed some supported living uh, uh, in, investment. Um, we think, cap I know that capital is keen to be part of the solution and can get a long-term income stream from that housing. So rental housing, uh, house, uh, social housing, affordable housing, that to some extent is one of the triggers that will solve a lot of these issues we've got. Not saying infrastructure and transport are not, unbelievably important too but to some extent having houses in the right place does help solve some of those big transport congestion issues as well uh, and it provides the sort of quality skills that people need to do the, do the jobs of the future housing is key thank you very much and richard same question to you. you mentioned innovation and universities anything to add um one one thing to add i, I particularly agree on the housing but one thing to add is the the new generation of grade a offices which are fit for purpose and flexible and great places to to be and to work and to hang out. Um, and I think a lot of the regional cities have got a, a lack of the, the, the offices that we all think we might want to work in going forward. Thank you very much. I was going to take that question to um, Tony and Ken because I haven't yet, but we do also have a Slido question. So Tony and Ken, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to you and say, could you both quickly sort of do a bit of a sector overview and then answer the question in what are the ways you're measuring your progress? So Tony, let's start with you. First up, sectors. We, we, we've talked already about things like um, health and life sciences, particularly in our case, infectious disease control, um, big data around that, um, and really, really important in terms of uh, things like sensor technology, where Liverpool's got some real strengths, all linked to the universities and the work with the health system there. Um, the material science is really, really important to us. Completely agree with the points about housing. Actually, it's about the ingredients you need for a successful place, good places to live, uh, and, and, a, and, and a range of different options for people. Livability is, is, is hugely important. 
um, the transport system working, education system working, um, great spaces for businesses to grow and to attract people. But actually what makes cities great is the culture in the cities as well. Um, I think our innovation district, the, the Knowledge Quarter in Liverpool, is differentiated because in most parts of the world, the innovation districts, six o'clock at night, they're empty, they're sterile spaces. Actually, Liverpool's Knowledge Quarter comes alive. We've got the Everyman, a whole host of other cultural offers there that are growing all the time. And anybody who hasn't been to Liverpool, um, to, you know, those who have been will understand. It's a really, really exciting place. Um, more museums, national museums than anywhere else outside London. Um, fantastic cultural offer. Our footfall is already um, just about back to 2019 levels, way ahead of other cities. Um, our public transport system is now back at 90% of the capacity that we had in 2019. Uh, our big shopping centre, Liverpool One, uh, had bucked the trends um, for five years up to 2019, had year-on-year -year growth in terms of spend and footfall. Uh, it's the fifth biggest shopping centre in the country, or uh, fifth busiest. Um, we're now, uh, this year so far, we're actually hitting 2019 levels of footfall, but spend is actually slightly up. So it's, you know, the city has come back really strongly. Um, actually, as people, more people come back to work, we'll see even more growth. But it is about creating the conditions for people to want to come into a place and have a great time. It's about livability, but it's actually, particularly for young people, it's about it being an exciting city with a great cultural offer and, and I think, and a great leisure offer as well. And that's, that's about making your place really distinctive. And of course, Liverpool, like some of the other cities, has got a great cultural heritage and that's something that we should never sniff at. It's, the cultural sector employs lots of people, but it's actually how it differentiates the city and makes it more attractive for people to want to come and work and live in the city. And, and that's a very, very important ingredient as far as I'm concerned. Thank you very much. In terms of measuring... I was going to say, there's uh, lots of statistics I've, I've there about, about measuring. Yeah, sorry, I forgot about the question. Um, <laughs> I talked about some of the metrics in terms of footfall, etc. You can look at uh, investment. The real measures for me are that we're uh, inclusivity in the economy, um, that we're tackling, we're tackling things like health inequality and improving outcomes, and that actually living standards across the board are actually going up over time. Those are the real measures of progress for me uh, that we should be judged on over the long term. Thank you very much. We've got about three and a half minutes left. So Ken and Sarah, let's come to you for a very quick ways in which you're measuring success um, answer, and then we will round off. Across the region, we've set ourselves some challenging targets, 25,000 new jobs, a leverage of about 4 billion of private sector investment, and an uplift of GVA of 5%, uh, which is really, really positive, and uh, we're, well, we're well on course to achieve and to exceed those figures. However, as you, as you all know, probably with many economists in the audience, those are those traditional ways of measuring growth uh, and activity. Uh, I'm, we're particularly keen on, on looking at broader factors and looking at sustainable growth. And I'm delighted, I was delighted last week to, to read of Cardiff's progress in PwC's uh, Good City Report, which looks at sustainable growth. In other words, yes, it looks at the hard data, GVA, GDP, but also on top of that, looks at some of the softer factors. How's income distribution panning out? What type of jobs are actually, are actually being created in the region? 
How's the, what is the health of the population? And I'm pleased, pleased to see over the last two periods of measurement, Cardiff is top, top, of, that, uh, top, of, that in, top of that index. So I think that's the, one of the key areas moving forward, is growth is good, but sustainable growth is, is better. And that's the focus of our, of our, of our, of our challenge moving forward. Thank you very much. And finally, Sarah, that question to you, and then the one everyone's been waiting for, the places in cities that you all love and adore. I think ultimately there's loads of outputs that we can measure, but it's outcomes for people that actually care about. And it's Tony's point. It's about how people's lives, lives are better. And that's all in the long term that matters. One of the challenges is how we measure progress in Newcastle. And what we want is always not always the same measurements as the government want. So we will not pursue productivity at any cost because actually we want to be sustainable for the long term. We want to tackle inequalities um, and we want to have a great place for people to live. Um, and, and, and economic measures are only one measure of how people's real lives feel. And therefore, we need to get the right outcomes for our city and we need to be able to negotiate that through. Um, but ultimately, we want to make a better place for the kids of tomorrow. I mean, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's true. That's an excellent, excellent line on, on which to, to end. Thank you so much to everybody, but you haven't got away with that last question yet, so I'm just going to go along our panel now. We're talking about cities, and um, I think somebody, I think it was Barry, picked up on the passion that there is for, for cities among um, the people sitting on this panel. And so to, to run with that, let's everybody just say a place. It can, be a, it can be a shop, a restaurant, a cafe, just an outdoor space in a city, either where you are now or where you've lived or were born, that really inspires you. So I'm sorry, Richard, because you're sitting next to me, you first again? Um, Ken will like this answer. So um, as a Welshman walking uh, down to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff with uh, a bunch of people to a, a rugby match is quite one of my favourite places to be. Thank you very much. Barry? I'm going to continue the sporting theme uh, and it's going to be Hampden Park watching Scotland play. <laughs> Excellent. Tony? I could, do the, the, I could do the sporting theme of course as a Welshman. <laughs> But for me, Liverpool waterfront, pier head with the three graces behind you on a sunny day. Best place in the world. Worst place in the world, pier head on a windy, wet day <laughs> in January. Um, Ken? Um, best place is for me is Cardiff Castle, right in the middle of the city. Why? Fantastic architectural, historic heritage building. But we've opened it up as a park, isn't it? because of the pandemic and the members of the public are using it as a, another part of the the famous green lungs of cardiff so it's moved on it's not just a an architectural and historic icon anymore it's part of the park infrastructure being used by people on a daily basis so that's my favorite bit lovely thank you sarah standing in the middle of the Tyne Bridge and Mark Knopfler's local hero is going to be playing in the background and I'm going to be looking down where we've got £750 million worth of development happening on both the Newcastle and Gateshead side of the quayside, in particular a huge big £300 million for, well, it's yeah, with costs it might come in a bit more, £400 million <laughs> conference and convention centre going in there which will be available from 2024 and in 2028, the good old Tyne Bridge will be celebrate its 100th birthday, so we have to pray that we can get DFT to get it painted before then and <laughs> bring it back to life. Thank you very much. And finally, Ben. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for... I, I grew up in a uh, mining town called Lee, which is 15 miles west of Manchester, 
Um, and I'm going to go for Lee Sports Village, which was a, uh, a, a, a project that is basically a, a sports hub, football stadium, rugby league stadium, athletic stadium, swimming pool, which was uh, which is built on the site of a former mine. So regeneration story, my hometown suffered hugely from, from the destruction of the mining industry in the 80s and 90s. The building of that sports village was facilitated by a young man called Andy Burnham when he was MP for Lee. It's a great example of regeneration of a, you know, a struggling town. It's a great example of public-private partnership working together, MP, local council, Greater Manchester Council working together, and it's led to huge success. Manchester United women's football team player there, my local rugby league team player there, and a young lady called Kelly Hodgkinson who won a silver medal in, um, in the Olympic Games and is the world record holder in the 800 metres, uh, sorry, the bridge record holder in the 800 metres, ran on the track for the first time at Lee Sports Village. That's a great example of, you know, building something amazing for a town in the UK from something that was pretty bad in the 80s and 90s. So there you go, that's my favourite place. Thank you very much. Well, we've gone two minutes and 42 seconds over, but I think that everybody will agree it was worth it to hear those final answers. So could you all please join me in thanking our wonderful panel? Thank you. Thank you.